Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kisselier hanging out with Henry Zabrowski. Yes. Thank you all so much for giving to our Patreon. Without you, we're absolutely nothing. Today, we are honored to be with an absolute icon. It's a legend expert, of true crime. Yes. Legend of true crime. Dr. Catherine Ramsland. Thank you so much for being here. I know you wrote How to Catch a Killer, Hunting and Capturing the World's Most Notorious Serial Killers, along with 68 other books. I, it's a lot. <laughs> it's incredible. It is. It's, but I love it. I'm so happy to have all the opportunities. But today we wanted to talk about because, you know, that right now we have out a brand new series that we've been working on called BTK Confession of a Serial Killer. And I watched the first episode of it. <clears throat> and I can say it's a group of people that just also wrote a book on serial killers that like it's showing BTK in a way that I have never seen him before and an approach to him in a way that's really, really interesting. A loving, kind approach, sympathetic almost. I mean, <laughs> Dr. Ramsland, you really do, but you figure out a way to talk to probably one of the biggest villains in American history. Yeah, it took a while. I mean, that's, I don't think I've put more time into any book than that one. Uh, and that took us about five years. Can you go into wow. that process a little bit about reaching out to somebody like Dennis Rader, Bind, Torture, Kill, a man who's so notorious? How did that process even come around? Well, the weird, it wasn't my idea. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> you weren't like, oh, I hope Dennis says hello. Yeah. What? I wish upon a star every night the BTK shows up <laughs> at my window and he did. It was an odd convergence of things. I was writing a book that looked back over 100 years on mental health experts who had taken a lot more time to spend with extreme offenders, mass and serial killers, to learn a lot more about them. So they'd spend weeks, months, years. So I had just published that book called The Mind of a Murderer. Mm. And then I saw this woman on Facebook uh, who had claimed in 2005 when Raider was arrested that she was going to be writing a book with him. So I just sent her a message saying, whatever happened to your book with Dennis Raider? And she immediately asked me if I would take it over. She didn't want to write it. She didn't know <laughs> like, how to write it. Is it just uh, because of the nature of dealing with yeah. him or is it just, just because they didn't have the resources or they were like, well, you're the expert. You need to do this. It, a, a, sort of a blend of mm -hmm, those factors yeah. mm -hmm. and she had one of my books that she was using as a model and so she knew who I was but that still wasn't you know a done deal I had to be vetted by the victim's families because mm. proceeds from this book go to them okay. and also they they did not want a book about him or with him or by him, but they knew it was inevitable. So they wanted some control over the type of book. So yeah. I had to write a proposal saying I wanted to write a book that would benefit criminology, psychology and law enforcement. Right. Um, and then they other people had approached them, by the way, and they said no. But because my credentials, my intent, et cetera. So then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> then. We had to convince Raider to switch out from the first person oh my that he, who he really liked to me. <laughs> yeah. So we ended up playing chess together for about a year before all of this, all the legalities and everything got into place. And and so that took a while. And, you know, he, he warmed up to me, but it wasn't it wasn't like I wrote him and said, oh, I want to write a book with you. It was this bunch of weird things that all happened at once to turn a book over to me 
and then I reshaped it completely from. Yeah. I can't. That is like I can't even imagine sitting across from BTK just playing chess. That's absolutely. Yeah. Well, you, well, it was through the mail. It was you, through the mail. Oh, it was through the wow. mail. Interesting. <laughs> He's not good at mail, by the way. He tends to get him caught. It does. But you also like I think beginning of the show, like I don't want to bust it too. I really don't want to tell too many too much about what happens inside of BTK Confession of a Serial Killer because it's very interesting. But I do want to talk about the main themes, which is the idea that the extreme offender can be stopped like it can be prevented, which I think is fascinating. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna get into that. But I also want to talk about the games he started to play in the very beginning. It wasn't just chess, right? Like he literally he sent you codes to work out like oh, it, like the riddler yeah first, have... first he told me not to cheat at chess <laughs> oh i'm so happy he has more he has a moral compass he does and he has a moral code he does they all do john wayne gacy had one too he mm -hmm. just thought he you know people in america were getting too many divorces and... <laughs> Whatever, man. yeah there's 26 bodies in your floorboard but have we thought about the state of marriage in this country yeah, seriously you become steve harvey <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, and that's part of Raider's story is those life frames, each of which has its own sense of morality. So he wants me to be honest. He didn't like that the police had lied to him, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then he, before he would work with me, I had to agree to solve a series of codes. That was in part because he wanted to t tell the story through some codes mm -hmm. to keep prison guards from seeing what he was doing. But also he wanted to see if I would play the game. Yeah. And I, of course, I will play the game. I want to watch his behavior, no matter what it is. I want to see not just what he's saying, but his whole way of dealing with me yeah. and, and with his subject matter. So the code thing was really interesting. Well, let's definitely continue on with BTK. But just first, just with the victim's family, because I thought that was really interesting that obviously they're True crime can be a double-edged sword, and I think sometimes it opens up wounds for people who are already victims. Right. What was one of the things that they told you where they're like, can you just please treat the subject in this kind of way? Like, Was there something where you're like, okay, I understand where you're coming from? They did not limit me. Some of them wanted their story to be included, and I yeah. said no, because this is an autobiography, and this is not where your story should be. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I just think you would not, you should not read this book. So uh, you should not have your story in this book. Yeah, interesting. Um, interesting. The book has a, a different, it's not a true crime book. It's it's a an exploration of a criminal mind, which is different from the telling. Of, the way it's, the story has been mostly told is from the point of view of the investigation. Yes. Uh, and the citizens of Wichita, et cetera, not from his point of view. So this is from his point of view. But they were fine. You know, the ones that I met with were were fine. They did not restrict me in any way from, I mean, they they knew it was going to be graphic to some extent, but I didn't put, you know, the worst police photos yeah. in. And also, I was friends with the DA before it ever started. So once I convinced her this is a worthwhile book, she then had me look in, you know, I stayed with her. She had me look at her whole stash of stuff. And we went over a lot of, of what she thought would be useful. And, and so I got a lot of good information from her, yeah. um, from other people. W was there any images that were so shocking? You just said you didn't put the most shocking in the book. Anything right. that maybe our audience isn't aware of? Because, I mean, it's, as Henry said, I think he's maybe the scariest. Right, one of the one, one of, of the, the, of the stories. Because on last podcast and left, we tried to 
we belittle serial killers to humanize them and show people that they are not supernatural creatures, that right. they're not demons. Because I feel a lot of true crime portrays serial killers as sort of like, like truly like they have powers, like mm -hmm. they are, they can control time and space and they're super clever. And a lot of times they're mo the serial killers, we say a lot, are born out of extreme mediocrity. Like they come from somebody who doesn't have tangible skills and they end up destroying things because it's a little bit easier than building something. But there's something about him, especially because of what he revealed from his childhood that like you really now get to see some of like why he did it like and yeah. what and I think it's important to look through his eyes because again he one of the most frightening figures in true crime and I, if you're going to try to understand all, any of them I think he's the one to try to yeah. understand so any images just like jump out at you and be like wow okay I'm dealing with someone who is really out there well, first of all, the images of himself in self-bondage, yeah. there were a lot of them and they yeah. were they were really interesting in terms of the positions he would put himself in. And some of his he sometimes almost held himself captive because he'd lose a key to handcuffs or hmm. or he'd be upside down on a tree and not yeah. be able to get out of his rig. We did so a whole bit on stage. I did a whole yeah, bit once yeah. about him trying to set up the camera while in the bondage gear. Like, I like, how does that work? <laughs> like, how no, do you... seriously, how does it work? He's the selfie king way before smartphones. Came oh along. my God. He's <laughs> he... probably so jealous of all the kids now with their iPhones. If Tripods. I had that back in my day. Um, yeah, he's, they have tablets in the prisons now. So, uh, no, he had a remote control thing mm. all rigged up with his Polaroid camera. So he figured out how to do it. So the camera set up and then he, he would just use the wire um, to take the picture. And he had a lot of them. But the the shocking ones of victims' families. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think if you read the descriptions, you can probably figure out what the pictures would be. That yeah, yes, they know. are the crime scenes are awful, and he did Ugh. that on purpose yeah. too. I imagine in many ways is that he liked leaving an impact, and he liked. Do you want? He knew that he was creating la layers of trauma too, right? Like he knew that the cops would be fucked up seeing it, and anybody else who saw it would see how right. serious a, a bad guy he was. He wanted to terrorize Wichita. He wanted to command their attention. And now remember, 1974, that's even before we know much about Bundy. It's January 74, not July 74. Yeah. So we don't really know much of anything about serial killers. There's been the Boston Strangler. We've had the Manson and, you know, a few a few other stories, but nothing yeah. like this invading person who's in your home. Um, and he wanted to hold Wichita in terror. He wanted that feeling of domination and control over right. his immediate uh, town. Live from your grave. People ask me all the time, Henry, why do you use Babel? And it's a fairly simple story. Uh, just get into a time machine, go back to 1997. Imagine yourself as a 13-year-old ginger chubby boy with a yearning for the stage and the talent to match a star wrapped in a sex symbol yet to be matured enough to be accepted legally by the American public. And I was in the final rounds uh, for this little film. It was a biopic. I'd made it through all the dance rehearsals, incredibly, impeccably. The acting, I was there. It was, it was for a film called Selena. And then came the Spanish test. 
And I gotta say, I got less than good results, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> but nevertheless, it went and became an iconic role for Jennifer Lopez. And good luck to her and whatever the hell she is up to now. But if I just had Babel then... You might be talking to the Polish Selena that the people really wanted. Now is the perfect time to start Babbel for all of your summer travels or your audition needs. Babbel is the language learning app that sold more than 10 million subscriptions with addictively fun and easy bite-sized language lessons for wherever you are in your language learning journey. I know I was far behind Jennifer Lopez or J-Lo as some of the people from the streets call her. See, with Babbel, you only need 10 minutes to complete a lesson. Huh, and J-Lo had at least 20. Unlike other language learning apps, Babbel lessons are created by over 150 language experts, not just some guy named Dave. You know what I mean? I mean, it could be a guy named Dave, but just some guy you know teaching you language. You never know what he's throwing in there, all of his private little jokes. With Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, and German. Plus, Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent. In addition to Babbel's lessons, you can access podcasts, games, videos, stories, or even live classes. You'd be crazy not to join Babbel. Right now, save up to 60% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash left. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash L-E-F-T for up to 60% off your subscription. Babbel, language for life. A roast as dark as the night, perfect for fueling the cryptid research and mad ravings required for your podcasting. Don't mind the red eyes, he's just trying to warn you of the bridge. The bridge. Finally, from the caffeine-addled brains of Spring Hill Jack Coffee and last podcast on the left, we bring you Mothman's Red Eye Blend. Yes, delicious Panama beans. Go to lastpodcastmerch.com to order yours today. <laughs> I, I, so when you're talking to him, so I know that you, so you built a trust with him. One thing that we always, a roadblock we find in our show that we talk about a lot is how do you believe a word out of any one of these guys' mouths? Yeah. So it's like he is telling you these intimate details about his childhood now. Like he's opening up the floodgates to talk to you. What makes you, I mean, not to be anything like, what? What? what is the key to you that shows that he's telling the truth or you think that he's telling the truth? Or do you know that like, well, I don't know. I don't know who I'm meeting here. I don't know if I'm meeting a representative or like, yeah. or if it, you know what I mean? Like, because he talked about his personality being a cube. All right. So first of all, to this goes across the board to any offender you're going to talk to, but especially ones you anticipate will be manipulative and deceptive and narcissistic. You need to know their story as well as you can before you get to talk to them. So I have corroborating sources. I had the police files. Mm -hmm. I had their interrogation. I had um, things that other people had said about him. I had the DA. I had a number of things that I I would know uh, to some extent, certainly not not completely, but to some extent when, when he's not telling me the truth. Okay. To like cross reference. Yeah, he didn't like that I had some of that stuff because, of course, mm. he wants to spin his own image to me. And some of the things in the like the interrogation went against what he wanted me to think. So so he I had to call him out a couple of times and stuff, and that yeah. didn't sit well with him. Yeah, how did that work um, when you called out one of the most notorious serial killers <laughs> in history? The, the, how do you do that? How does that work? I think because I have credentials, academic and therapeutic type of credentials, there's a certain aura in that that 
they think maybe I see more than they than I really do. I don't know, but I, I know that he he would withdraw and then the next time we talk, he's got two or three pages filled up of justification or explanation for. So I knew that I kind of figured out his pattern when I would say, no, nah, that that doesn't really jive with what I know. I, I figured, yeah. yeah, he'd get grumpy, cranky, but then he'd come back, he'd think it through and, and be, he'd come back. Because one of the things about him and Bundy and Gacy and a few others that you know are very loquacious who li- like to talk a lot, yeah. is they really trust that the, their narrative will control the situation. They trust mm-hmm. that the language they put out there is going to be the defining thing for everyone who hears it. They believe that. So I I knew that he would always come back with something to in, to respond to this. We never got yeah. to the point where he was was really angry at me. I thought that he might be after especially after the book came out and you know he doesn't get to read it by the way, but people oh, would tell him stuff. Of course. And also um after the A&E documentary there were some of his friends would said that I threw him under the bus and I oh, my, oh no you <laughs> threw BTK under the bus. I can't believe you would do that. And, and he immediately said, well, that's her job. And he did so not. So in that capacity, he defended you. He defended me. We still, we've been talking now for 12 years. He called me on Sunday. Everything's fine. Um, I really thought, sort of thought some of this stuff might get under his skin in a way that he would just decide that's it. I don't want to do this anymore. But he hasn't gotten to that point. So well, he's got such a superiority wow. complex that I do think in a way, your it's what you said it's and you say that in the in the show which i think is really interesting is that you did what i did to get my first la apartment i dropped names i literally was like <laughs> this is how i did like I, I knew how to jump in front of couples so i was like you know i've done some work like i tried to jump in where like you did the thing where you're like i am very accredited this is all of my this is my body of work and there's something about that where i kind of feels it kind of feels like dennis raider is like well if anybody's gonna throw at me under the bus at least it's her like right. she's the one i trust to do it <laughs> I like the way you put that, but I, but I do think that also buffers me. Yeah, because because it does. I'm not a groupie. I'm not a. He has terms for various types of readers that that write or um, people who write to him, and I'm not in those groups because the credentials set me apart in his mind. And so yeah, I I'm not afraid to use that because I need yeah. buffering. You know, of, I, I want to keep protected. that level yeah. of authority there, right? Absolutely. And also, that's another thing, because some of the uh, people I know who talk to serial killers, let them r- run roughshod all over them, call them at all hours, night and day, yeah, no. make demands of them, to keep them on the phone for hours. Um, I make I set limits and keep them. Yeah, you have to have boundaries. So you mentioned how he was... Um, correcting or he was lying basically to you and you had to correct the record. What were some of the things that he was lying about? What were some of the issues that I guess he doesn't like being true? He really likes to stress how good a dad he was. Like he does like to stress how good of a husband and father he was, which is very interesting to think being like, well, oh yeah, that was one thing. That was one thing. And it took several years to get to this point. And they did not put, they should have put this on the video and the documentary. I thought, because they wanted something unusual. And this was, he has often said that he was never, he never cheated on his wife. 
and you know, stayed faithful as if, as if uh, like, all the things that however, he did. However, there was a woman whose house he was installing a security system, and he admitted that he made a pass at her. And had she not, you know, fended him off, he would have definitely gone further. And I said, well, doesn't that kind of defeat your idea about your fidelity that you're that you are a good husband? And he admitted, yeah, yeah. But yeah, he has that compartmentalizing thing, right? The cubing thing. The cubing. The cubing is so side, fascinating. Yeah, each side of the cube doesn't really care what the other side does. <laughs> right. Yeah, but that was some. That's interesting. So for him, obviously being a good Christian man, he's very pious. So for him, that is a that's a deal breaker. You don't yeah. commit infidelity. That's. The the psychology is so fascinating with these people because they do have morals, and then meanwhile they're also doing the most atrocious things of all time. So they have codes. Almost. They have codes. Yeah. And going back to yeah. that, when you were corresponding with him, and you just said you spoke on Sunday, what was that first process like when you received something from him? Do you feel like there was a certain amount of like energy attached to it? Like, wow, this is this is coming from a, a notorious That's killer. So amazing! I just wrote a blog about that very thing yesterday. Nice. <laughs> Yes. yes, I still got it. I talked about the aura that seems yeah. to transfer when you first, especially the first letter. The first letter really stands out. There's something. This is a serial killer, right? Yeah. And so he's not the first serial killer. That's the one thing. I mean, the <laughs> That's the thing you've first. talked to a lot of these losers. <laughs> like you've talked to, you know, yeah. The very, very, very first one was over to, you know, about 25, 26 years ago, maybe more than that. And the first, and that envelope was really startling. And was, I was just getting into this field. I had been teaching philosophy at Rutgers. So yeah. this was all very different for me. And getting that envelope, did it just seemed to have that aura. Like, and, uh, who sent that one? like the telephone bill. That is an envelope that contains <laughs> yes. something. Yes. And uh, yeah, so uh, with Raider, yeah, I think the first time, because because as you know, this arrangement was unusual. And so I was awaiting his, um, I, had, I had mailed him first to introduce myself and yeah. that I'm the one gonna, who's going to take this over. And the, so the first letter back was obviously momentous. A lot was at stake. He could have said, yeah, no way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not letting you do this. Or, you know, but he was very polite. And one thing about him, that is different from some of the other uh, killers who I've I've seen dealing with with associates. Is he's polite. Hmm. He does not use vulgar language. He recognizes uh, limits I set. He always treats me respectfully. Um, so, and that that first letter set the tone. That it was respectful, appreciative. He wanted to play chess. That you know, let's get to know each other. Um, and do the codes. So he he kind of laid out the groundwork to see what I would do. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I was game for anything because when you're doing psychology, you want all the layers, all the behaviors, even oh, if yeah. it's lies and manipulation, you want all of it. Because you there's a lot Ugh. you can tell yeah. from somebody about how they lie, what they lie about, right? Like yeah. what, how, what they, how they approach subjects. Um, I have a question that yeah. this is a general question, but I want to ask, I do again, want to get into like what the center of this, the documentary is about, but I want to ask a general question about serial killers that maybe just what your first thoughts are, because when I 
read about serial killers that have, quote unquote, a functioning family life on top of their serial killer activities, especially somebody like Dennis Rader, who had such a deep and intense fantasy life. Like you even asked the question, was your fantasy life more real than your real life? And he mm. kind of admitted like, yeah, sort of It kind of felt like that. Like in my, in my in my estimation, when I read this stuff, it always kind of feel like the functional life is the is like how they say like Bruce Wayne is the real is not the real right. guy. That's the cover, and right. Batman's the real guy. We're like, is Dennis Rader like the family man? Is that like a sexual game too? Is that another like look see what I can do? I can also control myself enough that I can have all of this right. and my dark world. No. Okay. I don't I, think I, so. Yeah. Do you think that it's like so? It was genuine for him. It was genuine, and also it, he's falling into place and in what he's trained up to do in the mid in America's Midwest is you go to church, you get you find a woman who'll make a good wife and mother, you have the children, you get a job, you support them. He was going through the whole menu that he was trained that this is what you do. So that and he had just come back from military service, met Paula. Um, it was all working. It wasn't a game, and even. Yeah, I don't think I think the cubing thing is is a secret to Dennis Rader, not not mm. all the gamesmanship. The game is on one side of the cube. Yeah, not all of them. That's so interesting. And so does he do you think he fully understands the difference between these two realities that he lives in seamlessly? Or do you think that he was a little bit surprised by his own actions? Sometimes surprised. He he does say something kind of interesting in the book about he uses a metaphor where he's he's kind of on this raft pushing himself away from shore, the shore being his his moral foundation. Mm. And as he's thinking about and stalking women and thinking about murder, he's pushing away from the shore. In his mind, he'll never the shore will always be back there to return to. And then one day he turns around, it's not there. Mm. So that that's kind of a good metaphor of. Yeah. What's going on with him is he's moving in a certain direction without recognizing how much he's changing. That's so, yeah. lost at sea. That's that's really interesting. So all right, so maybe it goes into the core of like your thesis of the the docu series, which is this idea that the this can be prevented. The extreme offender can be prevented. Now, what is it about Dennis Rader's story that starts that pointed you towards that? Like th these are like okay. This is this is proven a thing. Like maybe this is what we look for. We're like, what causes someone to kick off from the shore? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I mean, in a way, it's a re-education of society. That, as you guys say, they're not these twenty-four-seven monsters that are set apart. We have to understand that there, it's a continuum, yeah. and that these these kids who are having these fan this fantasy life. There's we 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 have these weird formulas about serial killers that came from the 1980s. So it's right. very the McDonald triad, right? Like yeah, all of that. It, yeah. it hangs on because it's nice formula for TV and novels. So that's unfortunate because we're missing the nuances. Um, the, the humiliation, something understudied. It, that is a huge role in so many of these offenders' lives. As in they were uh, humiliated as children? They were humiliated in a way that they don't forgive or forget, and, right. it, and it it stays with them. We we see that a lot in mass murderers. That's that's very much the formula that goes into their makeup, but we're not what we have not really looked at it with serial killers. But it does mix in with as they're going into puberty, it mixes in with lust. Uh, it mixes in with their fantasy life 
um, and, and the decisions they make subsequently. So we have to understand the role of things beyond just outright abuse. You know, we talk about, oh, they've been abused, head injuries, yeah. et cetera. No, yeah. You know what? Kids who don't have those things also have become serial killers. So we have to look at, um, we watch a kid who might be withdrawing. You know, Raider would draw his girl traps right there on the blackboard, right in front of the teachers. Girl traps. Yeah, like it's same. We saw that with Leonard Lake used to do the same activity too. When right. he got obsessed with the that book, when he got upset with the collector, and and it's weird because it really yeah. is out in the open. It was like that that yeah. that story of the the dude, the little kid that the parents gave the gun, and he's drawing, killing people for oh, days. That's so sad exactly. that story. Yeah. Well, and so you know that's that's a dysfunctional thing. Of course, <laughs> oh, yeah. absolutely. But it's just the the kid is telling everybody like, yes. "Hey, yeah. like he's screaming for attention." So, so what do you? How we, do we change the parameters that we can listen to? Because we actually said this yeah. on our Jeffrey Dahmer episode. We were like this idea that like if he is a ten year old boy could tell somebody, "I have these thoughts about sleeping with sleeping people." Like this idea of like I like people when they're sleeping still, and like how do we start that conversation? Like how do you? Well, yeah. The, one of the problems is we're we're uncomfortable. First of all, sometimes we don't observe our own protocols. In the case of the kid in Michigan, they had a team in place for understanding these signals and they did not call them in. Yeah. What's with that? I don't know. <laughs> right? But why do, you, why do you think that is? Why do you think it is so difficult for adults to address these issues and children who are obviously crying out? Yeah, I think it's uncomfortable. We don't know what to do with a kid who's doing deviant things. We just it's weird. And we just think if we put them out of class or send them home or right. get them a little bit of counseling, then that's all all it takes. But it takes teamwork yeah, and it, it takes does. consistency in a period of time. It's not just, oh, stop drawing that. You know what happened when when Jerome Bruto's mother told him to stop wearing high heel shoes? Yeah, he, he, <laughs> he like, didn't stop. Yeah, he didn't <laughs> stop. Yeah, he, he just go, stop. Hey now, hey. Like, but honestly, even wearing heels is fine. It's just the that idea of like, I, it, it's a part of it, I think, is the shame. Well, it's that, that that's shame what happened. Attack. She shamed him. Mm. He took it underground and it became hotter for him yeah. as a Thing, a, a forbidden secret. Right. So now it became a really big deal in a way it might not have been had she not made such a big fuss and made, and made him feel ashamed. Raider's mother shamed him on several occasions. And he stopped trusting women. Yeah. Right. Live from your grave. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here with Henry Zabrowski. Yeah, it's me, man. Yeah, bro. Henry Zabrowski is smoking some of that sweet last podcast of the left, babe. <laughs> Go out there and purchase yourself some. I hope you enjoy it. We have sativa, we have indica, and we have a hybrid. And I have to tell you, from my personal experience, they are wonderful. Super tasty, live resin. You really get the delicious, weedy taste, which is what I like. And yes. three different experiences. You go to your local vape store and get it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. We absolutely love you. Can't wait to see you on the road and get that vape, put it in your brain and have a good time. And if you want us at your favorite weed store, give them a call and ask for them by name. Absolutely. Last podcast on the left. It's weed. Hail yourselves, everyone. Hail Satan. And do you think it's also, it's got to be mixed with an antisocial kind of personality makeup too, right? Because some of these people, they find it super hot and then they become like shoe designers. I'm certain that happened to right. Balenciaga. 
You know what I mean? Right. Like at some point he got shit and all of a sudden now he's developing shoot. Like, and there's a creative way, but like, it must also be mixed with like, this kid also has a bad batch inside everything, of him. Everything is a combination of biology and environment. Everything right. is. And there's no formula for which one matters more in someone's life than another. Yes, we are finding a lot of research on, on the brain that tells yeah. us psychopathic individuals have different brain disconnects, especially over things like moral processing, uh, focus on reward, long-term decision-making, especially in adolescence, for example. So mm -hmm. yeah, certainly those things play into it. Absolutely. Are we at the point yet where we can actually anticipate and predict what's going to happen? No, we're not. At, we don't have pods. We can't go get them and, you know, stuff them in like minority report. Seriously. We can't, we're in no, no way can we decide what the, what the predictive quality is, but we do know Mm. That if someone's brain shows these aspects, that they are going to have trouble with consequences of their actions, with decision making, perhaps with hyperactivity, they are going to have some trouble with that. Those are the kids I think that we can build programs around. Uh, taxpayers coming into the picture, too. So if they don't want to pay for those programs. Who cares whether we have well-designed mm. programs or not? They have a great one in Wisconsin for hey, adolescent boys. They better. My, that's my home state. Yeah, man. It's but where the most serial killers have come out of oh, any other state. They need it. Serial eaters, my friend. That is Wisconsin. <laughs> um, and of course, geez, the education geez, system yes. has been gutted, which has been very unfortunate. So uh, perhaps our audience already knows this, but it's newish to me. The McDonald triad is no longer considered to be accurate, correct? It has never been considered to be accurate until the FBI guys started putting it out there. Yeah. <laughs> so the FBI is the reason. Uh, that, there's, and, there's no research support for it. And if you look back to its origins, yeah. McDonald, Dr. McDonald, not the hamburger guy, Dr. McDonald. <laughs> was thinking, well, maybe there are some risk factors we can look at. And he had a, a small group of violent patients under his care. So right off the bat, it's an unrepresentative sample. The sample mm. is too small to say anything. He didn't even find the results he was looking for. So someone else along the line decided, oh, that looks like a good experiment. They expanded it. They didn't get the results either. And But it's a nice formula. So suddenly people who want to think more simplistically right. see this as, you know, here's the precursors for becoming a serial killer and get, and it became part of TV shows, yep. movies, novels, even crime book, uh, crime textbooks. Oh yeah. It's unfortunate, but it's not true. There isn't a McDonald, you know, any kind of, of triad mm. that will definitely predict serial killers. Animal cruelty, one of the, notches of the triad yes lots of animal cruelty in their background but not all kids who are cruel to animals become serial killers or even offenders no um, not not the bedwetting that is not no i know several comedians professional comedians who <laughs> wet the bed until they were 15 years old well even in the fbi's own small unrepresentative study they still didn't find even 50% had all three of those. So how do wow. they end up making these statements? I, I mean, again, that's a great question. <laughs> it's a way to boil something down. It's trying to, which we always talk about in terms on the show, in terms of conspiracy theory, where oftentimes wow. people feel a comfort with this, yes. uh, with the idea Same. of, yeah, it's yeah. comforting to feel like, oh, we can figure it out. Yeah. 
because it it's is. so scary. It's such a such a phenomenon. And it's also like especially it's such an American phenomenon. But it makes you less safe to yes. believe in a formula that isn't true. Right. I agree. Yeah. Like, what are some of the is, is there over your years of work? Uh, Catherine Ramsland, that's who we're speaking with. She's a fantastic author and a legend in the field. Uh, what is what's the <laughs> largest um, myth that you would like to see busted? In your work, 69 books, obviously you have a truth that you are trying to tell. Um, what is one thing, broad perhaps, that you really just wish that we could all understand so then we can kind of be on the same playing field when just starting to have these conversations about psychology? Uh, well, I'll tell you that, you know, I write a blog for Psychology Today. I've been doing it for 10 years and I and I wrote one called the number one question about serial killers that I always get from high schoolers all the time, yeah. like once a week at least. Uh, the nature versus nurture. How much is nature? How much is nurture? Are serial killers born? To which I say, you are treating serial killer as a criminal type. It is a description of a behavior. That's all it is. Yeah. At huh. least two, at least two victims and you know, one victim on two occasions. So unrelated, two occasions, two victims. That's it. That's a description of a behavior. And the the range and diversity of approaches, motives, weapons, victims, you know, range of, of activity is so diverse, you can't pack it into a criminal type. Um, so that's one that I I don't like the idea that we can find you know the, the few traits and behaviors of a serial killer so we understand exactly who they are. I right. think that's ridiculous. Secondly, that they all that they all want to be caught. It's <laughs> just, just a silly thing. Why would they want to be caught? They want to do what they're doing. Yeah, right? they are. They're they, living they their dreams. Sit in cell. Yeah. They want to do what they're doing. There's very few who have turned themselves in. Very few. They have. Um, or some have committed suicide, but that's rare. And the, I, I don't know. The, I do know it came from a, a case in the 1940s, the lipstick killer who wrote in yeah. the mirror. Cash Please, me. Get, yeah, catch yeah. me. And it's partly, too, because people want to believe serial killers have a conscience. And so they feel terrible about what they've done. That's a myth. They yeah. don't feel terrible. Because they're wow. why are, do you feel like also because then, then Ted Bundy we bring up this uh, quote quite a bit I I don't know the yeah. exact quote but it's like you spend years properly planning how to do the crime or you plan it and you prepare and then one day you're just you lose the wrench you lose the thing you're trying to do is it just that the wheels fall off half the time like and does that have something to do with kind of literally their mental illness where they they get to a point where they they kind of self destruct because they are so they're following their id all the time. Well, you can ask that of the Zodiac, I guess. When did he self-destruct? True, true. So, you know, there are some there are some who do. They It's called devolving, and, and Bundy did that. But he's become sort of the prototype, and sure. he's just, you know, but he's only one case of, we have over 5,000 documented. We don't even have all of them, because who knows what goes on in other countries in terms of documentation and investigation, um, but we do have a lot that we know about. Bundy, Bundy's behavior is not the prototype at all. It's just become the media prototype. And that, that's a very different animal. Is there a prototype? Um, but yeah, he's, he's right that some, it's an age, a, a lower testosterone. Um, 
less interest, less challenge. Dopamine in the brain just doesn't come up for it anymore. There's a lot of different things depending on how old they are, whether they failed at some of it, whether um, they, you know, something is just dried up and they don't want to do it. But that's, again, we have serial killers who are in their 50s and 60s. So they still operate. Know, it's yeah. it's going to be different from one to another. It's very hard to generalize that. What is the prototype? Do you think there isn't one? That's there what is, I said. There's no, there's no, yeah. there's there's no portrait of a there's no profile of a serial wow. killer. It, it doesn't make it and, scarier. And the FBI would it say that they say that in their publications of the time when people stop saying there's a profile of a serial killer, there isn't uh, one. Wow. Do you take any of this home? Like, does this screw with your actual personal life, yeah. like dealing with all of this, like on some level, like like having Dennis Rader have your telephone number? Does it fuck with you? No. Great. Honestly, I mean, you're you're because you're uh, you're you're facing it in a very yeah. specific way. I mean, I guess it would if he made threats or, you know, but you've never had to deal with that in the past, like someone flipping on you. I've had stalkers, but they aren't the people you think they are going to be. No, yeah, they're they're true crime fans. No, they're not. They're <laughs> like an academic dean. It's not what? you would expect the true crime fans. No, they treat me with respect. I've had weird stalkers that have nothing to do with any of my work. Oh God, so, that's even worse. Yeah, no, that's I know. just about <laughs> that's even worse. Because sleep well tonight, everyone. Um, <laughs> I can't thank well, you enough. That is one of the things about the Raider book is that he 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 was a person praying next to you, singing singing church hymns with you, leading your church, he, your neighbor talking with you about the flower gardens. You need to understand these are this is possible. They are not monsters 24 7 they are ordinary people for the most part and it doesn't mean they're nice guys but they sure know how to play nice guys when they need to yeah right. one of them's probably hosting the podcast you're talking to right now <laughs> but i just man i can't i seriously can't thank you enough for talking to us this is a <laughs> yes. you have done us a great honor to dare treat our stupidity with your words yes thank I, you. Looked at, I looked for you guys at crime con Oh, I can't! I can't wait to go back. Can't wait to like. Go back. I want to go back. I mean, it's been a while. Like we went to the very first one. That's where we met Nancy Grace. The Vegas one was five thousand. Wow. I can't even imagine. I can't honestly. I mean, my it's God, astonishing. Catherine Ramsland, thank you so much for being here. You are a pioneer, and you're saving lives. Um, thank you so truly. much, Doctor Ramsland. Check so out BTK you. Confessions of a Serial Killer. It's truly good. It's like, like, and our audiences did that gets exactly, oh, they're going to, it's our group because we are all like, just like them. Like we've been consuming, like it's for the people who know true crime and it, it really is. It's great. Thank you so much. Appreciate Appreciate being there here. Great questions. Thank you, trying, Catherine. Trying to, that's so nice you said that. We did good. So we try, nice. trying to embarrass us or embarrass you, <laughs> doctor. And please come back if you have anything else you want to promote or you're working on. We'd love to talk with you again. You are wonderful. I do have another one going, but I can't say. I, I assume that you do. Yeah. We'll bring it right Unless back. Unless you're going to stop at 69 books for some random reason. No, no, man. No, you got to do it. Okay, keep pushing. Thank you, Dr. Ramsland. Thank you. Live from your grave. 
All right, there it was, our conversation with Catherine Ramsland. I'm horrified. Doc, she is very, very I, uh, good. Like, she's very, I very good. I kind of actually enjoy the idea of answers. And sure. what I, we all do. Those, those were, but those don't exist. No, 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 there's so, none. Uh, she just basically <laughs> says what we do. But I honestly think it kind of goes hand in hand with what we do. Like, while we try to do, you know, understand that they are not invincible creatures, it's just important to remember, like, in the fact that, that serial killers are human, that means they can be your neighbor. And they can't yeah. hang around. But I do believe yeah. what I had heard about Dennis Rader, which I think is true, is that he was also a fucking asshole. So there is that, too. Where, yeah. like, sometimes, which was also joked about on the show, I'll probably bring it up the next time we speak to her, about, like, sometimes you do see him coming. Because they're sometimes because the, it's the prick. I love that when there's an interview and they don't say, I never expected Jeffrey. I love it when they're like, Yeah, he was a fucking dickhead. Yeah, and we if all hated his neighborhood was gonna be a killer. We knew it was gonna we be him. We knew it was gonna be him. <laughs> well, thank you all so much for listening. We hope you're doing well out there. Thank you for giving to our Patreon. And uh, yeah, anything else? Uh thank you for your fucking money. Fantastic. All right, everyone. Hail yourselves. No. We'll talk to you. Hail soon. Satan thing. <laughs> uh, fuckers. I'm I'm just kind of bowled over. I am it was amazing. Magoosolations, everyone. Yes. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. 